welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. It is season four. What is this, episode four? We four four? This, we- is, this is number three, Dan. Wait, is it? I've already <laughs> mislabeled the episode. This is the exact <laughs> wanted because we are doing the new Conjuring movie, The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. Is it Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It or The Conjuring Devil it's- Made Me Do It? It's the conjuring. I think I saw uh, the the in there in the title card. Uh, so this was oh go ahead. That, no, go that ahead. was just it was just weird that the like with the title card, you know, in the seventies style, like the other two movies, and then with yeah. the modern font underneath, the devil made me do it. Yeah. Like, well, why don't we just call it the Conjuring Three? I don't know. I mean, right off the bat, it's not a good title. No. Right? It's not. It's kind of it's just bloated. It's kind of like it feels like a YouTube video, you know, you're trying to like draw in the viewer. Yeah, uh, it's really kind of hammy. But um, well, they're trying I don't to know. make a connection to like that was the the shorthand for the famous case that it's based on. Right. People yeah, would call correct. it the devil made me do it case. But I don't think that's quite populist enough to. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a bad title. The it's, case happened before we were alive or right when yeah. we were born. So it's like we don't even remember it. Right. Do you remember this case at all? I don't. No. <laughs> no, and I'm into ghosts and stuff, and I've never even heard of it. So <laughs> whatever. They're they're trying their best out there to get people to watch it. Um uh well, before I go into so long spiel about the conjuring universe and what it means, uh, because I am a self sort of self-proclaimed, I guess, self-confessed, uh, horror nerd. Uh, and I absolutely love this series. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And as someone who just loves kind of middle brow horror movies that are entertaining, it really hits the sweet sweet spots for, for me. What about you, Chris? I'm kind of interesting wh- how you're approaching this. What is this? This is the ninth, no, the eighth film in the series yeah. uh, that started less than ten years ago, mind you. It started literally eight years ago, and we ha- we're on our eighth film. So, how are you approaching this? This third in the mainline part of the series, the Conjuring series. Uh, I have not seen a single one of these movies until last year. I finally saw the first Conjuring film. And then uh, when you decided we were going to do this episode, I just I just went it in, went into it like it was right there on the HBO Max, the entire Conjuring universe at my fingertips. Yeah. And so I watched Conjuring 2 and then Conjuring 3 and then just yesterday i watched annabelle um, so I, I still have some work to do but i don't know how much stamina i will have uh, yeah, especially without it's... having this this episode in front of me to to have somewhere to funnel my thoughts um because i don't know how you have kind of taken them in over the years but yeah it, it definitely for me seeing them like bam 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 um uh made the formula which you know definitely has its benefits i don't think these are bad movies but i definitely it just it feels incredibly stale um by the time you get to to annabelle and i think the big problem with that is you don't have patrick wilson and vera formiga yeah yeah Um, i mean just wait until you get to the nun i mean my god God. you want (laughs) to on the depths of uh cookie cutter boring horror (laughs) <laughs> the nun is probably the paradigm of that Yikes. um how did you feel about like watching after you know seeing those those what those few movies like what are you thinking like what is it i mean it's i, I will say that like they they were probably better than i expected i had never mm-hmm. seen them because i kind of felt like they were that kind of uh, a <clears throat> 
I don't know. I, I there was a sp- specific moment seeing mainstream horror movies in the theater yeah. uh, where I was just like, I don't think I want to go out of my way to see these kinds of films anymore. Oh, um, what film was it? It was the film Shutter, starring Joshua Jackson in a haunted camera. I don't uh, even remember this. Movie. <laughs> it what made no money. About? Did you make this up? <laughs> no, it's been, it was one of those J horror adaptations, and uh, it just yeah. It, and I think this was all in the midst of like, you know, the Ring and the Grudge and all those things uh, in the late two thousands. And I was, I just kind of swore off mainstream paranormal stuff which is which is strange because i was like i I was seeing shit like that in the theater i was going to every single horror movie um but uh i know with your word and the words of other people that i respect like um i think that i wanted to give it a fair shake uh so i fired up the conjuring i think one other thing that was a selling point for me that i didn't realize until just before i watched it is that lily taylor's in it and she's great in it oh yeah she's great and and yeah so like i was like oh yeah this is actually not bad i still didn't think it was amazing like there was there's still something that like makes it still feel like this kind of very forced trad like it's it's so weird that that like it it spawned a universe, but at the same time, it totally makes sense that it has been successful because they're they're sticking to the tried and true. They're not tr- you know, not coloring outside the lines very much, um, even if there is like a really impressive set piece or a uh, clever edit. Um, split diopter is, yeah. <laughs> is is you know there's like there's enough stuff to keep you interested, but it's just never like. I've gotten to the point because I watched the Conjuring two and three right, uh, sub subsec- subsequently, yeah. <laughs> and to the point where I'm like, wait, which one is the British one? Which one is the the you know the guy the the, the exorcist ripoff at the beginning? And the, I like, <laughs> it's just like it all blends together, right? Kind yeah. of like the MCU, which is per- perhaps the point in turning, yeah. uh this into a cinematic universe. Um, and I think this one's particularly interesting uh, to dive into because as um, director Michael Chaves uh, says in many of the interviews from the press release, it's the only one where it's, they're all based, based, I'm doing air quotes right now on true stories, but this is the only one where there's like an actual like victim, like a murder victim yeah. involved. And so the whole thing just like, kind of leaves this kind of strange taste in your mouth um well, especially once you exploitative maybe yeah yeah just a dollop yeah, but they cut it with bit. enough genericness so that you don't feel like it it it, it goes too far in that direction so they're yeah. very careful about it I yeah i mean it's a good point i mean at the core of the whole thing is ed and lorraine warren who are real um paranormal investigators you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, like essentially Ed Warren grew up in like a haunted house, apparently. And like for his entire like young adulthood, he wanted to like learn about ghosts and sort of help other people that went through the same thing and see if other people had gone through the same thing. And they basically created this entire life together um, being, you know, Amityville horror that comes from them. Um, Annabelle's a real story, apparently, um, that kind of starts out with this doll that's these two college roommates have that haunts them. Um, so a lot of it in this one, of course, is also a true story. Uh, you know, it also in the uh, Einfield um, poltergeist, the one in Conjuring 2, that's also supposedly real. And there's like tapes and stuff like that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's that. Yeah, there's it walks a fine line between hey, it's it's the whole based on a true story when most of it isn't, uh, and that that's sort of a little bit of exploitative and sort of what they're doing. Um, I think it would be helpful though if you are new to the Conjuring series if we sort of did a a quick rundown of what this all entails. So there's eight films. You know, it starts with the Conjuring in the summer of 2013. Uh, and James Wan, who kind of started this whole thing, he was the director of the original. And James Wan is essentially like, a, I would call him like a master of horror now. Like he has done so much in that field. He started out with Saw, started that franchise, started out Insidious, uh, obviously started the Conjuring series. And now he's sort of shifted over to DCEU. Uh, he did Aquaman. He's going to do Aquaman 2. Also did Furious randomly in 2015. <laughs> uh, the guy is kind of a renaissance man in terms of uh, uh, filmmaking and stuff like that. But he really has, I think, earned his place over the last decade and plus uh, as really kind of a master of, of horror filmmaking. And so he started this in 2013 uh, with a simple haunted house movie story. I mean, it's very straightforward. There's not a lot of bells and whistles to it. It's very efficient. It just it did really well. Uh, and sort of immediately, whenever uh, a movie company smells success, especially at a budget of twenty million, and it made three hundred nineteen worldwide, the original Conjuring, they're like, "Let's keep doing this." And so they immediately did Annabelle in October twenty fourteen. Uh, that did two hundred and fifty seven million dollars on a six point five million budget. Uh, so a massive success for Annabelle. Conjuring two then comes out in twenty sixteen, summer of does three hundred twenty one million dollars on a budget of forty. So kind of a similar performance to the original, double the budget, but still massively profitable uh, for James Wan. New, this is all new line cinema under the Warner Brothers sort of label. Uh, Annabelle Creation comes out in 2017, uh, that August, a really surprise success. I remember following that on the Wildline podcast, the box office podcast, and it was surprising. They, they sort of dumped that movie in August. It was a prequel to Annabelle. I'll get to the timeline in a second because the timeline is all over the place. <laughs> um, there's $300 million uh, on a $15 million budget. Uh, the Nun comes out a year later in 2018. There's $365 million worldwide on a $22 million budget. Really big overseas, huge in Russia and um, in Europe as well. The Curse of La Llorona, which has always sort of been like a weird, it's sort of part of the Conjuring universe and sort of not. It is technically, but it's very loosely connected to the other films. That does $123 million on a $9 million budget uh, in 2019. And then another film comes out in 2019, Annabelle Comes Home. The third Annabelle movie does $231 million bucks on a $30 million budget. And then, of course, Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It, which is the film we are focusing on today. Uh, you know, opens up this last week on HBO uh, Max and also in theaters. And it's already done about $57 million. It's going to be a success. I don't think it's going to be as big, obviously, because it's on streaming. I watched it on streaming. I might see it in the theaters. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that's the Conjuring universe. It's pretty massive. Uh, and it's very convoluted, too. I mean, the timeline of this thing runs from like 1952 to 1981 uh and it's sort of like it's not even actually worth going into because ultimately <laughs> right i mean let's be honest and like james wan says this in one of the initial quotes that i was looking at about the conception he was basically like when i made the first conjuring i just really wanted that film to stand on its own to be the best it can be and you know i just wanted to make a film that was very much a throwback to the kind of horror films that i love growing uh, gr uh growing up you know the sort of more classic haunted house stories from the 70s and 80s and I think that's where the Conjuring worked back in 2013. 
it doesn't try to do anything fancy or special um it's just the actors it's a tight really tight script and it's just well paced and it just it works really well uh and it was a home run but you kind of like as much as i want to accept that like this is an accidental cinematic universe on the other hand you know they are diving into the this the lives of these two paranormal investigators who are you know are real people who've done like ten thousand investigations they're probably in the back of their mind is like well this thing clicks we've got ten thousand more stories to tell and ten thousand more movies to make and that's essentially what's happened um the quality is all i think the quality is kind of up and down with these movies but um you know the conjuring is considered the main line of this the the highest quality um conjuring conjuring 2 and this the conjuring the devil made me do it uh, are definitely i think quality wise higher than most of the other ones the Annabelle series um, is just, a, it, it kind of seems like a sideshow a bit. Um, it's almost like the Star Wars thing, where you have the main Star Wars movies, and then you have like Rogue One or Solo. Mm-hmm. And that would be like Annabelle and like La Llorona or The Nun. They're just kind of side B, B plots to the, to the main line. Um, wow, what a, what a strange universe that this is. And this has only been what? Uh, not even, it's eight years now. Eight years, and we have this Crazy. pretty dramatic uh cinematic universe that kind of popped out of nowhere it's done basically two billion dollars worldwide uh two billion dollars by the way on production budget that adds up to 180 million dollars so it is extraordinarily successful and i think what's interesting about it too is that it runs counter a little bit to the blumhouse model uh which has also kind of been a revolution in horror uh, in a different way where mm, they never really do something massive or big. It's always really small budgets like Annabelle's budget was 6.5. They kind of stay in that realm, but the Conjuring universe has been successful on a much bigger stage uh, with much you know bigger budgets and kind of swinging for the fences and, and being um, big hits worldwide. Um, why don't we talk about what this movie's about? What's the, why don't you do the log line for us, Chris? What do you, what is this thing all, what is Conjuring the devil made me do it? What did the devil made him make him do? Uh, he made him uh, stab a, a guy that was probably being a creep and a drunk, uh, and that's about it. Uh, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren encounter what would become one of the most sensational cases from their files. Um, each one is more sensational than the last, right? The fight for the soul of a young boy takes them beyond anything they'd ever seen before to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defense. So the film starts out, right, with this, uh, like all the other films, an opening uh, sequence of terror. And um, Michael Chaves, the director, who also did Curse of La Llorona, um, said in many interviews that they wanted to, or at least his attempt was to start the movie with the, the scariest part rather than end the movie with the scary part, scariest part, which is kind of, um, you know, ill-conceived in the, in, in, from the outset, but essentially that's what happens. It's a very effective opening sequence that just plays the beats of the exorcist. And he, he readily admits it. Chaves does in his interview that like, even from the, you know, priest pulling up, um, at the, the, the house in the night with the fog emanating on him, just like Friedkin framed, uh, Max von Sydow in the original 1973 horror classic. Uh, it's very much like every beat can be, uh, seen interpreted as a callback to another more classic horror film and by doing that then uh after the credits we 
switch now to the character of Arnie, who is the young boy who was possessed. Um, he's engaged to the young boy's sister. And how did the the demon that was possessing the young boy jump over to Arnie? Well, basically, at like the climax of the exorcism um, in the opening sequence, uh, Arnie says, uh, "Don't take him, take me instead." And then everything goes back to normal, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's weird. Everything's fine now." Okay, case closed. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, it it isn't. The demon for some reason stays dormant in Arnie until there's this weird uh, encounter with a drunk kind of uh harassive harassing um uh what it what is it like a border like a a kennel a dog yeah, kennel it's kennel he's the he's the landlord of the kennel right uh and the the two couple arnie and his um young is are they married or not i don't know they're engaged or they're engaged. about to be engaged yeah. i don't know fiance <laughs> they live in the apartment above the kennel which <laughs> I, I guess is so from bizarre. the true story but yes, yeah, it, it, fe- yeah. it feels untrue when you mm-hmm. watch it um, for untrue. many reasons. Um, yeah. So like, I, I don't know. I'm curious from your perspective, Dan, yeah. um, from mine, I definitely felt like the setup here that they were going for uh, was was really strong at the start. Like I was really into this um, with that opening sequence, even if it felt derivative not just of exorcist but obviously all the other exorcist light movies that have been uh since uh, 1973 but um but because like they they had this really impressive uh i guess uh gymnast or contortionist yeah amazing um, be a a a stand-in for the young boy and she was incredible and so like you could tell that there was no cgi happening it was all in camera um, and Shaves goes into detail about it on both Collider and Screen Rant. Very interesting stuff. But then, I, for me anyways, then it's just like each successive scene, especially any scene, just like I felt with Annabelle, where it was focused on the young, boring white couple, uh, there, there was just like, no, there's no life to it. Like, you're just waiting mm-hmm. for, for Ed and Lorraine to come back. And any scene that like I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, Wilson and Formiga are in together is, is pretty, pretty fun to watch. Like they're, they're consummate professionals and uh, they clearly relish these kinds of roles, trying to elevate them from these kind of low rent ghostbusters to something (laughs) more romantic, um, both literally and figuratively. But every time we're with the couple or we're with Arnie or we're with, um, that family and ed and lorraine aren't around i'm just like um i don't know how how did you feel when when it switched i mean would you agree that the opening sequence was one of the stronger parts of the film i think the opening sequence is one of the stronger parts of the entire series of films it's very well done and it's also yeah i mean that sequence is is definitely like a home run um and the moment you switch over to the young couple arnie and you know when he murders the guy and that's not really a spoiler i mean everybody knows this um it, it it's bizarre because there's this moment in the film where you feel like arnie gets arrested they're in like the defense lawyer's office and and lorraine are there and they're basically like we're gonna do the devil defense that he was possessed by the devil um and the defense lawyer's like we're not gonna do that we can't do that blah 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 and then they're like, no, it's happened before, blah, 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 we're going to do this. And then there's a moment in the courtroom where she says, we're claiming, you know, whatever, not guilty or something, uh, you know, 
possession as the excuse for him doing this. And then it just drops the court angle. Oh, yeah. Completely. And you're like, oh, man, like I thought like this is going to be like a courtroom drama on some level. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't really come through. And then it becomes a sort of um, it kind of feels like a murder mystery in a way. There's like a police procedural procedural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's definitely a procedural element to it, which I loved. I love that sort of because it gives the story a natural progression, a natural inertia to keep things moving forward. And there's some wonderful sequences in that um, kind of strung along procedural. But I think that you're right. Like the main story of Arnie. I don't care about Arnie yeah, <laughs> at all. Like I don't, he's not even remotely interesting. Uh, and like, I, I think probably the screenwriter, whoever's doing it was sort of like, Oh, like we can't really focus on him as much. We have to focus on Ed and, and Lorraine because they're, they're really the focus of the conjuring films. Number one, they're really the magic of the series. Um, and Arnie and his, and his uh, fiance, it's just not. And I, and I noticed too, that those scenes weren't as scary um that like you said they come across pretty lifeless and i couldn't really tell where we were going with it like why should i care about this kid who killed somebody even if he was possessed okay whatever uh it just there was no sort of sympathy built up for the supposedly the main character but i think that's what the 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 movie's pretty strange because it sets up him as the main character but he's not really the protagonist it's ed Mm -hmm. and lorraine as the protagonist and like their sort of mystery and adventure and trying to solve this possession and how to stop it. And they're essentially trying to stop Arnie from hurting himself or hurting other people because he's still possessed by this demon. Um, what did you think of, you know, and how do we sort of place the, the occult um, mm-hmm. aspect of this? Because, and I don't think it's much of a spoil, but the, the main antagonist here is, I guess you'd call her a witch. Would you call her a witch? I, yeah, what else are you gonna call her, man? I mean, <laughs> an occultist. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, somebody who 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 likes. I mean, and that's kind of one of the the difficult entry points for me with this series in general is that, like, it's very they're all very handsomely made. This film included, yeah. but there's there's always a moment, and maybe I'm more uh, attuned to this because I've watched them all like four in a row, is because. Uh, is there, there's always that moment and it's typically either with a lawyer or a detective where basically they could have if they wanted to make a maybe more interesting experimental independent film that wasn't worrying about appealing to the masses and following a formula where you have one of the protagonists if not multiple protagonists asking why would someone do this like there's this totem that's placed under the house that is the reason why the boy was possessed in the first place and the totem was placed there by a witch and then you so then somebody asks the detective what 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 would make her want to do what makes somebody be an occultist what makes someone be a a satanist um and the 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 authority figure's response to that is nearly like the exact same thing word for word in every one of these movies crazy people do crazy things you can't expect them to like have a reason and it's just like this kind of very f like no no effort put into the the basic um reason for like why hannibal lecter is scary or why why the killers in scream are scary but it's it it it's frustrating because there's obviously been so, for 
for me anyways, I would be much more interested in like digging into and like actually letting the antagonist be more than just a boogeyman. But that's not what these movies are trying to do. So I, I mean, I'm probably asking too much. But that's where when that moment happens in each of the films in this universe, that's where I kind of just like sit back and I stop being invested, honestly. Uh, it's funny you say that because like, like diving into this narrative universe is like, and you start to like dig through the roots of what's happening here. And the further you go back, there is a line all the way back to the nun from here to this movie. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And I couldn't even maybe recite it off the top of my head, but when you dive into it, it goes back to basically a medieval, um lord who like wanted to open a portal to uh hell essentially and that's what the nun's all about the nun's all about that why did he open that port for because because crazy people do crazy things (laughs) even in medieval times uh there's a strong anti-anarchist message to these films where it's basically like the people who want to do chaos just want chaos. That's their evil. Right, and there's right. no, yeah, they they say that repeatedly in like every single movie of this. Well, and it, I mean, it, and that's, I, don't know. I think that's, that's kind of what drew, kind of drew me out of the mainstream horror game in the first place is when I kind of, you start uncovering some, some more, you know, risk taking films and they, they care less about like explaining things and more about the allegory or they care less about uh, following the formula and more about like making, um, the narrative unpredictable and playing with plot turns and things like that. But here it's, it's just so to the beat, but I mean, I'm not one to talk because last week we talked about one fine day and I loved the beats in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, it's different genre beats for different people. Right. And what what I find so fascinating about the conjuring and the whole universe that grew, that kind of blew up from that original film is that the original conjuring was so rote but it was really well done. It's like going to Chipotle and getting a really good burrito. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's like. It's just like, this is, this is comfort. This feels good. It's cheap. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then with that, each success of entry in the franchise is like, Oh, let's go to the Chipotle two, do- two, ha- two cities down. Right. Yeah. Or get so something you- different off the menu. And oh, so yeah. like, do like double get barbacoa instead of your double chicken. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and then you end up with Sofritas and you're like watching the nun and you're like, where did, what happened with my life? <laughs> oh, I, uh, I like Sofritas. I'm going to check out the nun of tonight. Course, of course. <laughs> it's like, okay. The nun is so bad. Like it, it's the only one in this series that's like, I think a complete failure of a horror film. Mm-hmm. But before I, I don't want to go down that path. Um, I do want to ask you this because yeah. I was starting this thought and then I went on the Chipotle path. Um, <laughs> uh so the conjuring became successful in 2013 uh the horror genre kind of bottomed out in about 2011 2012 in terms of box office in terms of quality it was a disaster i think the devil inside remember that movie got like a cinema score of f like no don't remember it (laughs) oh it was terrible it had like the word like you had to find out the ending on the internet like it was ridiculous uh the one where like takes place on like an elevator the entire time that was like 2011 yeah yeah. uh i think it was called that something like that this movie comes along in 2013, kind of revitalizes the genre in terms of sort of the, we'll call it middle brow, like just like quality um, winners that like people want to see in terms of horror films. Not very experimental at all. But then at the same time, you had that elevated horror movement uh, with It Follows, The Witch, uh, Raw, Hereditary, 
uh, midsummer, obviously, in the last couple of years, get out. I think you, we could toss that in that under that label too. You know, how do you how do you compare the two in terms of because it is the same genre? That's all part of the horror genre. What is it about these films that makes them so successful, but at the same time kind of underwhelming? Uh, whereas, you know, and it follows or the witch is like uh, the best burrito you ever had in your life. And this is Chipotle, <laughs> you know, like what what do you think, in your opinion, like separates the two? Well, I actually think that can be summed up pretty well by a quote that stood out to me from Chaves in his interview with Collider. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he was really self-aware of what he was saying here. But it's pretty on point, probably both from the perspective of him as a filmmaker trying to do something successful, but also from the perspective of a critic trying to, you know, parse out and um, figure out what's what's making this cinematic universe uh, people. Why do people keep coming back to it? So his quote was um, from the conception of the film, his biggest priority was quote, I'm a fan of this franchise and I love these characters and I want to make the Conjuring movie that I have not seen yet. So my mark is completely secondary. It'll already be its own movie. It'll already be its own story because it is such a different case and such a different story. This is much more of an investigation, kind of alluding to what you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So it very much seems like, and you could, uh, I mean, with, I mean, cinematic universes, whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, or now with The Conjuring, um, that is the goal, right? That, yeah, the director's mark is secondary. The goal is to give the people what they want and to hope that by just providing something that's technically a different story, even though it's just the same story dressed up in a slightly different packaging, um, that you're going to keep that engine running, right? It's just like coal to the fire. Like it's just yeah. product. Um, not to get too dismissive because I do think that a lot of these films, just like I think a lot of Marvel and Star Wars movies have their merits. Um, but it does feel very much like this, uh, I don't know. It's, it feels like fact. Yeah. It feels like fact factory work. Like you said, but, uh, it's workmanlike. But I, I'll say this though. You're definitely right. But there's a weird sort of corollary to that where the director is sort of a placeholder you're just sort of like a, a you know um the captain's really james wan probably mm-hmm. and the executive producer is like um what's his name peter saffron right he's done he like did all of these movies he actually moved over to dceu with james wan mm-hmm. they seem like the real drivers of these stories in these movies and creating them and the directors maybe a little bit secondary but doesn't that allow for some freedom in maybe not storytelling because i don't i wouldn't say the storytelling in any of these movies is that interesting or that experimental but there are sequences in these films that i think are amazing um and that are like do rise to the level of almost elevated horror this is me probably speaking as a fanboy but i'm being honest there's moments in uh for instance in annabelle the opening sequence of annabelle i think is phenomenal like you have this young family and it's done so well where they play up everything about that family being young and vulnerable and like, you know, like the American dream. And then you have these cultists come in and they're all dressed in white. It just was beautifully done. Uh, and that, that was part of the trailer of Annabelle that was like got me so psyched for that film. The rest of the movie is pretty much boring as hell um, <laughs> and not super good. I mean, I enjoy it, but uh, 
does that that factory system and i think we saw that also in the movie like rogue one which i gush over constantly where there is a sense of security and freedom that the film's going to do okay there's a built-in audience there's a built-in uh market that you can kind of play with things a little bit more and you can't play with them too much right because then it kind of falls outside of you know what the genre is all about i think the nun fell prey to that pretty significantly it just was not really within the the rest of the vein of the rest of the films but is there a sense of freedom in having that continuity and that security of a sort of factory model uh that that feels like putting somebody in a rubber room and saying like you can go to every corner <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> i i mean one thing that pop comes to mind uh is that like i think the to look specifically at this new movie the devil made me do it like the opening sequence works so well because yes they are able to color inside the lines but they're able like they just made sure that they could end up with something that was incredibly effective from the editing to the acting to the stunt work etc and they like put their all into that but then when you take a, a a scene like the 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 waterbed haunting that classic uh, throwback to uh nightmare on Elm street 4 right but that that and that that lie therein lies my my problem with it because it's so fun when it's done in nightmare on elm street 4 because that is like a series of movies that doesn't care about staying inside the lines like every single entry in that franchise is off the walls like that's what made you know, horror movies, especially horror franchises back in the day, so uh, unpredictable is like you knew that you were going to get Freddy, but you didn't know you were going to get like a freaking waterbed massacre. But then <laughs> you do it in The Conjuring and it's so like tame and almost like absurd um, that it it just feels like an afterthought. Like why the like it just made me scratch my head after the scene was over. Like, why the fuck a waterbed? And then I remembered Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And then, of course, when you read the interviews, it's like, yeah, we were trying to do Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And it was just like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's a difference, I think, between homage and recycling. And I think that I was down for the homage, even to the point of having, like, the the fog over the priest at the beginning yeah. of the film with the exorcism. But then when it just kept trying to pull that punch over and over again with different references, but doing it like light l-i-t-e edition um yeah. every time like even down to like there's lots of comparisons between you know the the investigative procedural thing uh both Juan and um chaves talked about how like seven fincher's seven yeah. was uh an inspiration and that just like made me scratch my head like really was it though because it, it felt it like a restaurant <laughs> it felt like a like a cbs show like the mentalist or something. <laughs> <laughs> but not not quite that bad because formiga's incredible and she yeah, she great. brought she brought it up but so was um, wilson i mean wilson's yeah. unbelievable on screen yeah, yeah yeah and he had that big profile uh, i think you shared it with me uh, uh, wonderful we love patrick wilson this yeah. is a He's uh, he's lovely. He has a great quote too, actually, in the press junket from EW. And I think this is where it comes down to is like yeah. I I think that he has a a sense of playfulness. And uh I don't know about Formiga, but Wilson has a sense of playfulness that if that had been brought up, 
more or played to more than like these movies could be more interesting as they go on rather than feel more limiting as they go on. His quote from the EW interview is uh, every marriage has its ups and downs, but the demons are a real downer in this marriage. I want to do like the Ewok <laughs> family Christmas special version of Ed Lorraine, where it's not a horror movie. You just see them in some indie drama trying to go. Yeah, go to a therapist and they try to unpack all that's going on in their life. Meanwhile, the daughter's like, you guys always leave me. Like he's he's very self aware of like how silly some of the things are in this franchise. Yeah. Well, but then you've got a guy like Chaves, who I don't know. I didn't see Curse of La Llorona. Maybe you can speak to that. But it feels like he's taking this he's taking this as a job. He's not taking this as a chance to like create art. He says to the point where like he was uh, surprised. I forget which interview he says this in. He was surprised that like Patrick Wilson wanted to talk through his character with him before they started rolling. And it's I, like, yeah, what is what is um, what I do you, what that do you get? To be strange? Yeah, because it almost seems like he's saying, did Patrick Wilson like uh, shadow direct this movie? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it, it yeah. kind of get that feeling because he goes like, oh, my gosh, I was, you know, why is Patrick Wilson talking to me so much? What's going on here? <laughs> I was really nervous, but I was like, oh, this is just the pr- his process. It kind of sounds like he's shitting on Patrick Wilson a bit for being I don't know. That's the, the I, for I, wanting I, to talk about stuff before they roll. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think like he seems like he's one of those. I'm the director. I'm the man. I'm the captain of the ship, and yeah, he's not. Yeah. Patrick Wilson's way more important to this film than he is as the director. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's very true. I mean, like and James Wan, it's all that kind of stuff. And like, um, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre, it's a bizarrely successful film series. But I'll tell you one of the reasons that I like it a lot, and I really enjoy it, is it asks next to nothing of me as a viewer. Absolutely <laughs> next to nothing. And it has this very almost stately way of getting through a horror film. Like it is like a rom-com formulaic situation with them. And they tend to hit those uh, kind of um, bromidic notes at the right moments to be like, yeah, this is comfort. This is great. But then there's these flourishes like the opening of Annabelle like the opening of this movie that are really over the top and interesting and fascinating and rich moments. There's another one in, uh, in this film where they're going to trying to find out what happened to these girls that disappeared and they're in the forest and Lorraine like kneels down and it just goes dark. And then that she's at night and it's just like a like really good, um, certainly over the top, but very well done over the top. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that like stands out to me about this series, as opposed to um, a lot of other lower budget horror films, and I pretty much see them all. If it came out in the theater in the last few years, I've seen it. Um, it's a hard thing to do well uh, on a budget of, you know, 20 million, uh, 40 million. Yeah, you get some extra bells and whistles to it, but. Like compare this movie to something like the the Grudge remake. Did you see mm, that? No, it came I, out last year, January. Fade away. Uh, I watched that. I got a cinema score of an F, by the way. And there was also that Mackenzie Davis movie about the haunted. She's like a nanny in a British house. And so I watch those movies. I go to see them in the theater, and they're not even in the same league as these. And the difference is that. There is a level of polish and engagement here that like right. this is an important product. And I think that you're right. This is a product and we want to make it good enough that people are going to really enjoy it. Whereas the average horror film isn't anywhere near that. 
it's just sort of a hodgepodge jump scares grotesque it's like the lowbrow horror film is a jump scare and gore that's all it is it's like mm-hmm. hostile essentially like eli horror is the king of it apparently um and this is just it's just that level higher it's you know it goes back to like we had the the hot song podcast uh the canadian mid-tier oh yeah I was uh, sort of rock that. it's very that workmanlike <laughs> feel to it where it's like yeah all the pieces are here this is like a camry this is gonna get you from point a to point a this is gonna scare you a bit it's gonna give you a couple of jump scares and it's gonna have an actual story that has closure that's it nothing more nothing less and to yeah. me there's some mm-hmm. value in that it, what what did other people say about this movie yeah, that, I mean, that was kind of interesting. It did seem like, as you mentioned earlier, this is a series that has diminishing returns for most critics. It, he, he, the first film had a Rotten Tomato score of 86 and a Rotten Tomato audience score of 83. And uh, here we've got 60% for all critics, 51 for top critics. That's uh, 59 and 56 real scores, respective. And 53 on Metacritic. However, it's able to keep that Rotten Tomatoes audience score oh, yeah. very high at it with an 84. Now you take a look at Letterboxd uh, and IMDb It's in the 60s with a low end uh, with the film snobs on Letterboxd and a little more on the high end with the normies on IMDb. And then a cinema score of a B plus. And I like that you put all the cinema scores in here. And, I'll, and by the way, maybe you can fill me in. When the hell did they start doing cinema score again? Um, uh, I think they of the pandemic. They brought it back. I want to say for Tenet, maybe. I'm guessing. Okay. I think it was Tenet, but they brought it back very recently. It hasn't been around for too too much longer. But it's going to be a small sample size, though. Yeah, exactly. Because the 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 first Conjuring film had a A minus cinema score. Um, you know the public uh, preview screenings and comment cards and what have you, uh, and. Then uh, another A minus for Conjuring Two, B plus for Conjuring Three, which is still better than the other films in the series, but obviously not as good as the first two. I mean, what do you think, Dan? There was a Metacritic audience score of sixty three as well. Um, you thought? I, I think we were texting a little bit. You liked yeah. this one more than the second one. Is that true? Yeah. So yes, I thought it was way more enjoyable. I thought the second one was bloated um it's two over two hours long now james wan did the first two uh and mm-hmm. michael did this third one and so um it has a very different feel to it but i just i think that this third one the second one tried to go too outside the guardrails of these films uh there's a lot of cool sequences it was awesome um but it just did not capture me at all like i never rewatched conjuring 2 i tried to rewatch it that day i was like i'm so bored <laughs> boring i watch the conjuring at least once a year it's like wow. it's like a super fun movie annabelle i haven't watched in a long time um and uh and i and i think that this one uh conjuring three here fits a lot with annabelle comes home uh which came out in 2019 where it is um you know it doesn't try to it doesn't swing from the fences really at all so what I found most interesting with the critic response of Conjuring 3 was that uh, while, yeah, the acclaim was certainly more muted 
than the other two. Uh, there was still definitely some critics that were raving a- about it. Um, one of which is your guy, Mick LaSalle, the San Francisco Chronicle. Yes, he wrote, in this new conjuring, every scene of demonic possession, every demonic hallucination, and every underworld visit and visitation land with unsettling impact. These are, in a sense, action scenes, and they're creepy, chilling, and very well done. Their effectiveness is aided by our knowing that the movie is telling a true story, or at least a supposedly true story. But we should expect all this from a decent genre picture. What puts the movie a notch above that is the performance of Formiga as Lorraine Warren. And really the only sentence there I agree with is, is the last one there. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm, but I mean, once again, take with a grain of salt, I'm clearly not the, the target audience for this. Um, probably somebody that I agreed with more was um, Mark Kennedy from AP News. He gave a more middling um, review. He wrote that it's a fine installment, but an increasingly creaky franchise appropriate for films that adore the sound of rotting wood floors. It leans into old school horror without really advancing the conceit or upping the scare factor. Its rules are increasingly easy to predict yeah it, it in that that's it like i said i would never call these movies bad but i probably would never call them good either um that said uh i also like this quote you found dan from barry hertz of the globe and mail who just absolutely railed against the film said if you want nothing more than if you crank the volume jump scares and some impressive occulty set design then this is your kind of hell for more discerning cinematic sinners including those who are impressed by the moody first conjuring and the kiki kitchen of its spin-off Annabelle Comes Home, here lies been there exercised that darkness. Just ruthless. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, I think film critics, they're just not in for these movies. Right. You know what, but what blows my mind about this is that they are in for MCU movies. (laughs) And MCU movies in general, I've I've been doing a rewatch here in Atlanta. And not even rewatch. I haven't watched most of these films. I'm all the way through like Avengers, Ultron, or whatever, whatever. Almost the end game or an Infinity War. Um, they're you know they give a pass to those films for being formulaic and these really common themes that pop up. And yeah, sure, they're spectacles. Why is it? Do you think that like horror films they don't really catch a break? You know, for you know being. <laughs> kind of wrote or following rules i think rom-coms are kind of the same way they don't really yeah. get um any credit for that well i think like kind of like what you're saying earlier if there if there ends up being uh an era of the genre that is elevated whether just by naming it or by actually having some merit to it and i think both of those label both of those kinds apply to this you know more recent decade of uh, underground independent fair of the scary variety um for instance like i could not shake i just watched uh saint maud recently oh, yeah, too yeah. and so like i was thinking about that a lot while watching the conjuring films and um really feeling that kind of slipperiness of genre that comes up in saint maud yeah. uh as well as kind of the really um uh you know comedy infectiousness of something like get out or even us which is much darker but still has a lot of black comedy elements and these movies are just played so straight um i think the mcu i'm i'm not going to be an mcu fanboy right now but i am going to say that for for all of their faults and i'm even as somebody who grew up with comic books and finding more and more faults in these mcu uh installments yeah. um they're still like there's still a lot 
happening in them. Arguably too much, but there's not only action and adventure and fantasy and sci-fi, there is also comedy and really bad attempts at romance too. So it feels like uh, while they are still doing the kind of coloring in the lines that the Conjuring Cinematic Universe is doing or the Star Wars universe is doing, um, there's at least, uh, I think there's a little more unpredictability um, in terms of uh, tone and um, plot turns and things like that. I mean, what's funny, but you go back to like the St. Maud example that you were saying, and it's just a different type of horror film, yeah. right? It's, you know, it's the difference between uh, a romantic drama and a romantic comedy. These are kind of like, they're not horror comedies, but they're kind of that sprightly jump scare, have a good time, doesn't really make you think all that much, doesn't really need to. St. Maud's going to make you think. Yeah. It's going to make you feel <laughs> terrible. You're going to feel terrible after that movie. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot. It's a good, it's a good one. It's a, it's a fantastic film. Um, but no, no, the Conjuring series, you know, you look at it, you look back on this whole thing and it, it's pretty amazing what they've accomplished. Um, it's cool to see that, um, you know, a lot of these films, some of them are critical, critical darlings. The Conjuring movies for the most part are. This one is an exception with the Contra 1, Contra 2 being the 80s in Rotten Tomato and have that 8 minus cinema score, this one's a little bit lower than that. But, you know, the series is not stopping, by the way. This mm. is not some end point or end game. Yeah. The Crooked um, Man? Is that a reference to, like, the toy in The Conjuring 2? No. It, it is Conjuring 2, but it's the that really tall guy. Yeah. Like, that's, like, on the, the zoetrope, right? The toy. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, you're right. Yeah, the, the toy. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, <laughs> That's uh, that's dumb because that's one of the least scary parts of that movie. So dumb. I hate that part of that movie. <laughs> just for dumb. Uh, and then you're going to get a, a nun sequel, which is Why? just. <laughs> the, the second half of the nuns, one of the boringest. The second half of the nuns, like watching all of the grunge remake. It's just like, ugh, well, the worst. and the, it's interesting to, to see how what they try to spin off from those or from this because they had a secondary demon that was going to be their spinoff character uh, yeah. in the it, like as a, basically a sidekick to the the witch antagonist um, oh uh, yeah okay right who's Valak Valak right. is like Val- the, uh, the, pu- the the core demon to all of this right oh yeah that was <laughs> that was the probably so stupidest thing of Conjuring 2 just say its name <laughs> and then everything will go away uh but yeah, like what do they they decided to cut that because they felt like that was too coloring too much inside the lines. Like people would expect there to be a, a spin-off character that would be easily identifiable. But they're also kind of painting themselves into a corner, right? Yeah. They need to do something different. Like I, like with this one movie especially, like look, I liked it a lot, but like I can tell you it's kind of lame. <laughs> uh it's just not it does not have the magic of the conjuring. It doesn't have the magic of like even Annabelle comes home when I saw that, I was like, Oh, this is fun, but I was like, we we've been doing this for like six years straight. Like, right. We get it. Um, yeah, the crooked man. And then there's, okay. The, the, that's, I also heard there's another one called that has to deal with Annabelle comes home. There's like a bride in a white dress, um, which is like so tropey hmm. uh, and cliche, but we'll be, it will be fantastic. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go see it opening weekend. I, know I, I, I don't know. Do you think that there's, there's a long, um, runway for these movies or do you think no. it's going to die out pretty soon i think it's going to fizzle out i mean i think that the yeah. cinematic universe 
things in general, especially after like the tumultuousness of the rise of Skywalker for Star Wars. And now kind of uh, we're starting to see some pushback with the MCU um, post Endgame. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how people react to Black Widow and the Inhumans later this year. Uh, I feel like this might just be kind of, once again, a fad, a very financially successful record-making fad but a fad nonetheless that people will be like oh yeah people did that in the 2010s and a little bit in the 2020s uh and then we got back to normal that's my i'm gonna disagree i'm gonna disagree with you yeah you think this is the new I, normal i think it's gonna i think this thing's gonna print money for <laughs> another decade we're we gonna get more cinematic universes is the monsterverse gonna make a comeback no i don't <laughs> think so that's a disaster um I think yeah, I think there's there's enough here where you can kind of branch it off into different stories and loosely connect them to something. The 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 kicker is when Vera and Patrick bow out. Right. Cause they I mean they're in the opening of Annabelle comes home and really make the start of that movie awesome. Uh and they kind of bring it home. And once they get out of this series, uh, it's gonna be tough to replace those two because they really are the heart of the whole thing. Um but I do think, you know, they're going to have the non-sequel. It's going to be awful. Um, the Crooked <laughs> Man's going to suck. If those two perform, you know, underperform significantly, then it's, yeah, they might be game over. But we're going to get a Conjuring 4. You know this. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Wilson's probably got, like, gambling debt. I don't know what he's up to. I don't even know why he does these <laughs> movies. You know, like, why is he doing this? <laughs> he's like a classically trained actor. He's an amazing actor. Angels in America, go watch that. You want to watch a good movie or a good miniseries. Uh He's unbelievable in it, uh, but maybe he's better as Patrick Wilson. When he's there. <laughs> oh man! In any event, so that's our take on Conjuring, the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, what is coming up for our uh, throwback uh, next week, Chris? Yeah, I picked out a movie that's enjoying its tenth anniversary this year, and already feels like it's kind of faded from memory. But I have very fond memories of it. I'm not sure you do, Dan. It is the uh, Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt cancer comedy, Fifty Fifty. It's available now to stream on Prime Video, and uh, I remember feeling some things when I saw this movie in the theater. And I will be very curious and maybe heartbroken to see if it how much it holds up on a rewatch. Yeah, I mean, I actually have never seen this all the way through. Oh wow! Yeah, so it'll be kind of a newer film for me. I've definitely seen parts of it, but I, just, I remember it being like, oh god, this is such a downer. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so we'll see. We'll see how it holds up after 10 years. In any event, uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Film Trace Podcast.